Good morning, Sojourn East. How y'all doing? My name is Pastor James. I am a pastor. My name, that's my title. My name is James Westbrook, sorry. And I am a pastor at um, Sojourn Midtown. And uh, y'all got pancakes. Man, y'all got to be, I need to be out here, man. This is where it's good at. So um, I'm going to stick around for that. Well, this morning, we start our series in the book of Jonah. Uh, and if you're like me, when you think about the Old Testament prophets, you, we tend to put the Old Testament prophets on a pedestal. You know, these, these were people that heard directly from God. They communed with God. They received messages to give to the people of God. And so all, while all that is certainly true, I tend to put them on a pedestal. And that's one thing about the book of Jonah is that that destroys any pedestal that we may put a prophet on. Uh, and so as we, uh, we look at this, it's the only book, the only prophetic book in the Old Testament, in the entire Bible, where we're not primarily focused on the message, on the content that God is trying to give to the people, but is primarily focused on the person and primarily focused on the prophet himself. And so I want to invite, I want to set a tone and invite us to, to have a certain lens as we are preparing to hear the word of God. See, when we, when we look at the book of Jonah, and when we look at our brother uh, Jonah here, it gives us a vivid picture into the stuff of humanity. See, you can't help but to see the stuff of humanity when you're looking and zeroing in on anybody's life. We, we see the stuff of struggle and, and anger and, and hate and bitterness, discontentment and dissatisfaction. Dare I say, we see the stuff of you and I. We see us in the book of Jonah. We see us in this prophet. And so as we are exploring the depths of us in this book, as we start this series, we will equally plunge the depths of God's immeasurable grace. See, the more and more we understand us and the more and more we understand our nature, and the more and more we understand and come in contact with how selfish we really are, the more and more we understand how gracious God truly is to put up with the likes of me and you. And so as we look at Jonah here, that's something that I want us to look for. And so with that in mind, let us stand for the reading of God's word. Starting with chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go and with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you a thought, give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. 
What is your occupation? And, and where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that, the flea, uh, that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then he said to them, to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rolled hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray to the Lord for some help before we get into this thing. Father, I pray that right now, that uh, as was prayed earlier, that you would prepare our hearts that you would quicken spirits, that you would transform lives, Lord, that you will do what your people need, Lord, because we know that your spirit births new life, God. And, Lord, there's a whole lot of people in here, including myself, that continues, Lord, to need new life in you. Lord, would you give us a fresh word this morning? We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So as we, as we, we listen today, uh, there, there's, there's four truths that I want us to learn regarding the nature of God's grace for our lives. Because essentially, I believe that this is a book about God's grace and all about God's grace. And so we're going to look at the four, uh, four um, um, truths about God's grace. If you're following along with me, you can certainly do that in your bulletins. And so the first thing I want us to look at is the character of God's grace the character of God's grace. And we can see that in verses 1 and 2. The, the primary point here before we even start is, listen, God loves people. Let's not forget that that is the start of our life. That is the start of, of, of our faith. It doesn't start with us. It starts with God's love for us. God pursues us because he, he loves us. God loves people. And what we're going to see here is that in his grace, God pursues after the most unlikeliest of people. Why? Because he loves people. So with that, let's go ahead and read our verse uh, for this morning. The first thing we see here is that now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So the first thing we have here is we have this call of God to the prophet Jonah. Jonah is also mentioned in uh, another place in Scripture, 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. And there we see Jonah receive the word of the Lord again, but this is an easy word that God gives him. He's serving in the northern kingdom, the, uh, the kingdom of Israel, and he's serving there, and he's preaching to King Jeroboam. 
And he received this word to tell them, listen, that God is not going to destroy the people of Israel because of their sin. As a matter of fact, God is going to give them some good news. Go ahead and reform and rebuild the walls because God is going to give you new life. God is going to save the people of Israel. See, that's, that was his first assignment, and he had a pretty successful prophetic career up until this point. But that's not the news that this brother gets right now. See, he had an easy job up to this point, but now he's getting a new word from God. He's now told, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach against them because they are so evil. Now, I don't want us to miss something right quick. I don't want you to miss the fact that God is sending him out. Prophets in the Old Testament are not sent anywhere other than to people of God, and now God is sending him to international borders and to international places, and that is a precursor for God's love for the people, God's love he pursues, and that even goes before the Great Commission. God loves people so much that he will send you and I to preach the gospel to people no matter where that may be. So God is is doing this in this precursor type of move, but he tells him to go to Nineveh. See, Nineveh, that, that's not just some, some podunk place in the middle of nowhere. We're talking about the capital city of Assyria. Assyria was the most uh, uh, hateful, spiteful, meanest uh, type of empire that the world had ever seen up until this point. We're not talking about the neutral Switzerland here. Oh, we're talking about uh, a modern, we're talking about an ancient ISIS. We're talking about people that made a reputation by by killing and skinning people and killing babies. And this is their reputation. And God says, yeah, yeah, I I, I want you to go there. You want me to go? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sure that's that's where I want you to go, Jonah. God is not making a mistake here. He calls Jonah into the heart of darkness. He calls Jonah to the hard places. He calls Jonah to those people. And we all have those people in our minds, those people that make us feel a type of way. And I imagine that as we continue our narrative as a country, that those people will continue to be people like um, Russia, people like North Korea, people like Syria, those people over there. God has this tendency of calling us to those people because all of us were those people to the Lord. Amen? But I I want you to listen that God is calling him to preach against Nineveh, not that God would damn Nineveh, but he's preaching. He wants to send them there ultimately for their good. Remember, we started off this point by saying that God loves people. The character of grace is that he loves. That's the starting point. God does not just love, God is love, the scripture tells us. It is part of his very nature. It is part of his very essence. God is love. And because he is love, I want to go to the hard places. I want to go to the people where people would tend not to go. That's where I'm sending you, Jonah. God has a heart for the worst people. God has a heart for people that are undeserving of his grace. His unmerited favor is his grace. That's where God's heart is. And if I'm honest this this morning, and I believe if any of us are honest this morning, we tend to fall in the habit of thinking that God's grace is generally extended to people like us with maybe a few degrees of varying um, differences of personality. When God gives grace, then it's probably most, they're they're probably more like me, Moral, I don't like to get into it with people. I don't like uh, hateful things. I obey the laws of the land. I don't steal music from the internet. You know, 
God is probably saving people like that. But, but listen, that's not the picture we see in the New Testament. That's not the type of love. See, that's a cheap type of love. God's love is so much deeper than that, so much greater than that. Listen, when we look at Jesus and Jesus coming to the world, because of God's love, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That type of love that was sent a God who is in heaven with the triune God and that he will cross all the way past time, that he may become the incarnate one, that he may dwell amongst human beings. That type of love, that type of Jesus, love incarnate, we see him apply love in a very different way. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see him reclining with sinners, we see him touching social untouchables. We see him meeting with, uh, with sinful, greedy tax collectors. We see Jesus walking with 12 men who always doubted him. We see that they, they never could quite get the point. We see him dining with two men that would betray him. We see Jesus utter the words while he's on the cross, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. We see Jesus being with some people that who, with our deepest problem is not stealing Music from the internet. These are people with deep heart problems, and God's love says that I love you. That's who I want. That's who I want to come after. And listen, and, and, and it's, it's the same way for us. God's love, it goes far beyond what we can expect for other people. But listen, it also goes far beyond what we generally expect for ourselves. See, so this morning, I want us to understand the nature, the character of God's love. It is deep, it is deep, and it is undeserving. That's why our response this morning should be doxological. It should be one of worship to God because he loves us so much. And the more we understand ourselves, the more we understand God's love. But see, that's part of the issue, isn't it, this morning? It doesn't just stop there. It challenges us. This thing, it challenges us. It's not easy to accept that, which brings us to our second point. It's the challenge of grace. Knowing how much God loves people, that is a challenge to us. And as we will see, it's a challenge for him. How God loves and who God loves is nothing short of scandalous to the human mind. And brothers and sisters, too often it is scandalous to the Christian mind as well. Excuse me. Let's read in verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Now, if you're like me, when you're reading this thing, <laughs> there's one thing, one statement that stands out, whether you are a believer or unbeliever. Did this brother actually believe that he can escape from the presence of God? Did this brother believe that he can actually outrun the sun? Did he believe that he can actually escape from the presence of a God who's present always, everywhere? Was it not our brother David? Did he not have the Psalms available to him? Lord, where can I go? Where can I go to escape your presence? Even in Sheol, in the place of death, God, there you are. I can't get away from you, Lord. I can't hide from you, but this brother believed that he can hide from God. This is the insanity of sin. This is what sin causes. Every sin is insanity before God. See, why in the world would this brother travel 2,500 miles in the opposite direction, way on the other side of God's plan for his life? 
Most likely the brother tried to go all the way to modern-day Spain. This brother was saying that, no, I want to get as far away from this thing as possible. There's two things you got to believe in order to do something like this. One, you have to believe that God is not good. The second thing you got to believe is that God is escapable. God doesn't see. When we step away, that's the, that's the definition of sin, harmatia, missing the mark. When we step away from God's plan for our lives in any particular area, it's God, God is not seeing this. Oh, I'm going to just dip it just a little bit here. You can, he doesn't see that. It's fine. See, this is what it calls us to see. It blinds us and makes us believe that God does not see. But is this not what transgressions are in our lives? Are we not running to Tarshish? When we sin against God, are we not running to that place that represents our freedom? If I can just have it my way, if I can just do it my way, if I can just, just Lord, just let me just do it my way. The place that makes us feel comfortable, the place that makes us feel, the, the, the make the anxiety goes, go away. The place that makes us feel like we can be our core selves. We don't have to be our false selves. We can just be. Lord, just, just let me be, because right now your word is operating as a chain on my life, and I just want to be free. That's the lie that we tell ourselves. And Lord, I don't want to apply your grace in, the life, in my life in the areas of, of marriage and conflict. And finance and trust, parenting and faithfulness, anger and forgiveness, lust and self-control. Lord, just let me have my way. That is what sin is in our life. That's what transgressions are. That's what Tarshish represents for our life today. Because it is our sinful nature. We know those areas. We know our tendencies. God knows our tendencies as well. It is a challenge. But, but the, the bigger issue here, though, is that's not really the reason why Jonah is running. Why is Jonah running? Why is he trying to get all the way out the way here? Why is he going to Spain? Well, I believe it's for the same reason, for the same struggles our brother, the apostle Peter, struggled with 700 years later. We re- you're reminded of the text here in Acts chapter 10, uh, Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, where the gospel is getting ready to go to the, to the Gentiles, and God calls Peter on the rooftop and says that, listen, Peter, I want you to eat some bacon. I want you to eat some pork. Uh, some of you may not, Jews don't eat pork. They don't eat bacon. And God is saying that, listen, there are a billion people in the world, in the future of the world, that will eat bacon, and I need you to go ahead and partake in this meal because my gospel is now going fully to the Gentiles. I need you to cross some social barriers here, brother. I need you to understand the full weight of the gospel. And I don't want us to miss the, the similarities in their ministry when God calls him. Listen, they're, they're called essentially from the same location. Notice that, that uh, Jonah, he goes down to Joppa, and then from there he leaves. Uh, that was the decision point for, for, for Jonah. It's from Joppa that Peter is called to go to the Gentiles. They have the same calling to the Gentiles. And then, obviously, our brother Jonah is called to the Ninevites, which are Gentiles. These are non-Jews, essentially, people. And have, they have the same fear. It's ethnocentrism. Well, how do you get that from the text preacher? Both Peter and both Jonah and Peter, they believe that God's covenantal promises, they belong to the Jewish people. If you ain't Jewish, you ain't got no business with the promises of God unless you become Jew, unless you become Jewish. 
This was Peter's. Peter said, may damos, Lord. May it never be. I will never eat anything unclean. I'm not going to do it, Lord. And it's the same thing you see with Jonah. No. No, Lord. I'm not going to go. And we know this because Jonah 4.1, he, see, he knows that God is a compassionate God. He knows that God loves people. And we know this, that this is the reason why he runs, because in Jonah 4.1, it tells us that this is why I made haste to flee from Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. That's why the brother ran. What does that mean? I don't want you to save these people. Kill them all. Drop a bomb on them. Let them all just die. They shouldn't live. They don't deserve to live. This is a prophet of God here. See, listen, it's it's when our anthropology, our sociology, when it falls, or or, excuse me, when, when it overcomes our theology, we begin to think like this. See, we see the God, the gospel is calling us to have a, a gospel-centered, love-centered anthropology that we may love people, that we may look through the lens of a John 3:16, God so loved the world type of lens. When we look at people, that our, our sociology and our anthropology will be informed by a, a robust love-filled theology. See, it's, it's when we, we adapt and we have more identity with our culture or with our with our the places that we come from. When we have more identity with that, we will always fall in the same way that Jonah's fallen here. We run. Well, I don't want you to save these people. It is a challenge for us. And God's grace extends way beyond what we could hope or even sometimes want for people. If we were honest this morning, it even goes far beyond the person that cuts you off on the road. Yeah, God loves him too. <laughs> God loves her too. Even when you're wronged by a spouse or you're wronged by your children, God loves them too. Listen, a man, I just read an article the other day. It was a man executed in Arkansas in the last couple of days here. And he was executed for a crime that he had committed 20 years ago. Now, this is not about making a position statement on, uh, on capital punishment, but this man said while he was in, in, the, in the chair, and I, I want to be... Um, sensitive here, but while he took his last breath, he said, I'm sorry to the family. And he said, he proclaimed his hope in Jesus Christ. Is that the way it really works? Does God really have enough love for him that he can do that at that moment? What about the heinous crime that he committed? What about all the families that he hurt? What about the sin that he committed? It's not, not the case with the thief on the cross, a man who probably had a reputation to live in, in his life of stealing from people and getting over on people to the point where it finally caught up with him and he's on the side of Jesus and he says that, Lord, do, please remember me on this day. And Jesus says that surely you will be with me today in paradise. That's how God loves people. That's how great his love is. Brothers and sisters, I hope that we're seeing and capturing God's love here. It is deeper than we know. It is deeper than we apply. See, but not only do we see the character of God's love and we see the challenge of God's love, it's challenging to us that God would love people that we prefer him not to and God would love people in ways that we prefer him not to. There's a cost 
of God's grace. There's a cost here. Because God loves us, he will hurl great winds to prevent us from self-destructing in Tarshish. Uh, God loves you. He's going to make sure that you don't make it to Tarshish. Amen? Let's uh, pick up in uh, verse 4 through 8. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the, this, on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. It says that then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was, on, that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jordan had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And he said to him, tell us of whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? This is something that we learn about sin. Sin will find us out. Sin will find us out. The brother thought he got away from what he did and what he's committed. Sin found him. The lot fell before him in this ancient method and God used it. No, you think you're slick, brother. Uh, you're going to hide, you're going to run from me, and then you're going to hide in the middle of the ship and go to sleep. No, 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 no. Come on up here. Let's talk. God has a way of doing that in our lives. Sin, it just, it's, it's, it's before us. Our sins are before us, but God uses it in a very particular way. But don't miss the, the reaction of the, of the mariners. Look at what these brothers, I want you to picture the conversation that they're having on this ship. These brothers, they are seasoned sailors, so that means that they are used to all types of winds coming in the, in, in their, um, in the sea. They are seafaring people. They know the sea life. There's something a little different about this storm. You can picture the sea men saying, that, brother, this seems more like a mighty tempest. Would you agree? <laughs> yes, I would agree. There's something so different about this storm where it causes them, believe, causes them to believe that, hey, there, there, this must be some type of deity causing this thing because it doesn't look like we're going to survive this thing. Because like, everything that we've been trained for is not preparing us for this. Listen, God is hurling this thing. God is be, be behind this thing. They understand that, and Jonah understands that too. What's the point here? If we are Christian, we all have this sense as affirmed by the Holy Spirit, that sometimes some difficult seasons in our lives, it is a result of God's discipline in our lives. It's because God is disciplining and applying a disciplining hand in our lives. He chastens the one whom he loves. Listen, God does not punish his people. He disciplines his people. There is a difference, and this is going to be a free lesson on parenting. You don't have to pay me for this this morning. Listen. The idea of punishment implies repaying someone with what he or she deserves. That's the antithesis of the gospel. Punishment produces a child laden with guilt and determined to get out from under it. And Christ-likeness is never the result. An effective parent has to learn the difference between punishment and discipline. God knows the difference, brothers and sisters, and God disciplines his children Look at this map right here, this graph right here. They, they, they have different outcomes. They have different intentions. See, the, the, the purpose of punishment is to inflict penalty for an offense. 
The purpose of discipline is to train for correction and maturity. The focus of punishment is past misdeeds. The focus of discipline is future correct acts. The attitude of punishment is hostility and frustration on the part of the parent. The attitude of discipline is love and concern on the part of the parent. And the resulting emotion in the child of punishment is fear and guilt. But the resulting emotion in the child of discipline is security. See, this is God's intent for Jonah in this storm. He's not, some people are tempted to think that, oh, God, well, he would hurl a storm at the brother, just throw it out him just like that, huh? Yes. And God is the one that causes the storm, but he's also the one that controls the conditions of the storm to make sure that the boat gets to just the right point, that it doesn't break, but that he understands what's going on. And we'll understand more about that in our next point. But we're reminded of the words in Proverbs 3.12, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. That son is, is, is figurative and federal, meaning that it applies to sons and daughters. Hebrews 12.6 says that because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Once again, that's federal, sons and daughters. God loves his people. God will not allow you to self-destruct in Tarshish. There are many times in my 20 years as a Christian where I wanted to go to Tarshish and I wanted to just be outside of the will of God because I wanted what I wanted. But God, thanks be be to God, he did not allow me to. And I know there's people in this room right now where you say that, thank you, Lord, that you did not lead me to my own devices. That season when I wanted to just be stuck in this thing, stuck before my computer, stuck in my ways, stuck with my hate. I just don't want to like people right now. God says that, no, I will not let you do that. And you have loving people in your life that will say that, listen, I love you too much to let you just wallow in this thing. I'm going to preach you. I'm going to preach you. I'm going to love you, but, but, but I'm going to love you out of this thing. You got to come out of this thing because that's not the place of life. That is the place of death. There's a cost to God's grace, and that cost is for our benefit. It will cost you discomfort, sometimes pain and anguish, but it's for your good and safety because they, they, the safest place to be in the world, as you have heard many times, is in the will of God. But finally, we see that there's a cure of God's grace. There's a cure of God's grace. We see this in verses 9 through 17. God's grace is effectual. His grace is effectual. It will have the calculated particular effect that is necessary to create the necessary conditions for transformation through repentance in our lives. How do I, how will I translate that? In other words, God knows what he's doing, and he's doing it to produce a certain effect in you. He knows what he's doing with his grace. He knows what he's doing with his discipline. Let's go ahead and read verses 9 here. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the Lord of he- the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Most likely, these mariners, they made a distinction between the God of the air, the God of the sea, the God of the land, the God of the animals. And he's saying that, no, I serve God, the one who made it all. <laughs> and you see their reaction. He says, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them, man, why you bring me in your mess? And you didn't even have the the, the audacity or the, the courtesy to tell me. 
Tell me when you're doing wrong, okay? Oh, I can tell you some things growing up in the hood. I didn't, I'm a twin. Let me, let me divert right quick. I'm a twin. Uh, that was a couple of times where I got uh, stood up, uh, you know, with a gun at, at, in front of me. Brother saying that, hey, uh, you Jason. I'm not Jason, brother. That is my twin brother. I promise you. Oh, you know I had some words for Jason when I got home. What you doing out here in this city, man? What's going on? You pulling me into your mess. Okay, let me get back to the text. I'm sorry. I got to let some things go here, y'all. Verse 11 says that, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. Listen how moral and good these men are. Nevertheless, the men rolled hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. The sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. They, they can't beat God. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. There's a cure to God's grace. God gets what he wants and what you need, you and I need. This is the passage where Jonah actually comes to the end of himself. You see repentance right here before you. You see Jonah saying that, okay, okay. I, I can't outrun God. I can't get away from this thing. I'm found out. My ways are before me. I'm not going to escape this thing. Jonah comes to the end of, of himself and says, I, I, I did it. It, 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 was, it was me. It was me. And the only way to deal with this, the only way to stop this is to get me out of the ship. You can see a broken person here. You can see someone saying that, listen, I can't even bring myself to jump off of this ship to get away. And the only way to do this is that I need a strong hand to pull me out of this thing. Go ahead and just throw me over. This is a model of repentance for us. This is a place where God wants his people to be. It's to a broken spirit and a contrite heart that the spirit will draw nigh to See, it's too brokenness that the Spirit can work with. Sometimes, like, I can't stop this thing that I'm in, this addiction that I'm in. I can't stop what I'm doing, but I'm broken, and I want to stop. I need a strong hand to come and take me out of this thing to keep me from making it to destruction. Take me out of this thing. He's coming to the end. He's come to the end of himself. He finally sees that sin has made a fool of him. He wakes up, he sees, and they hurl him over. The cure for this thing was repentance. And Jonah is not the only one that's changed as a result of God's hurling, God's activity here. It's not just Jonah, it's the sailors. Notice what they did in verse 16. Notice that it says that then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. These men were exceedingly afraid. This means that this verb here, it means that they were more afraid of this result than they were of the ship in the storm. The fact that the, the, the thing stopped, they saw the mighty hand of God, and they were exceedingly afraid 
and they repented and they served the God of the Hebrews. If you're an unbeliever in this place, if you have not placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as the means of salvation that the Father has provided that you may have a right relationship with God, if you're still kind of trying to figure this thing out, listen, I want you to learn from these men. They feared, they revered the Lord. They served him as a result of seeing what he was able to do. And we would love to talk with you more about what God is able to do in our lives, but also in the world at large. And if you're a believer, listen, don't fight the hand of God in your life. James, don't fight the hand of the Lord in your life. The cure of his grace is for our good. And we need to learn from our brother Jonah here in acknowledging our own sin before a holy God. Let this be a word of encouragement that as you are going through life, God knows how to bring his people to desert places. But he also knows how to provide an oasis in the desert when we finally recognize our need to thirst and be satisfied by him. And this is a point that he brings Jonah to. So I want us to remember, when you go home, I want you to remember here. Remember the character of God's grace, the challenge of God's grace, the cost of God's grace, and the cure of God's grace in your life. God loves people, and God loves you. And he loves you so much that he demonstrated that while we were yet sinners, Christ shed his blood for us. Christ demonstrated this great compassion that he has for people by loving you and I by going to a cross. Reminded of this every week when we take communion of God's great love and compassion for us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and said that this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat it after giving thanks. Likewise, he took the cup and poured and said that this is my blood, the blood of my new covenant, take and drink. For as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, we have an invitation today to sup on the mercies of God, to think about his love for us and how crazy he is about us as we're challenged by his love and how we are to follow that example to love other people in our lives. If you are an unbeliever in this place, we ask that you abstain from this meal, but we do invite you to fellowship and community with the body. Let's pray.